The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Uh, we normally do this podcast at the end of the week, right? Leading into the weekend, we talk about what's coming up. Uh, for the uh, for the for the NFL that particular weekend, Didn't, weren't able to get that done uh, this week, so I figured, let's do a recap on Monday morning. So here we are with a Monday morning edition of Eye on the Enemy, and we're going to talk about the Eagles having hired two coordinators now. The Vic Fangio uh, decision uh, hiring has been made official, but of course uh, the Eagles have not officially announced Kellen Moore as the new offensive coordinator, but it sure looks like it's him. So uh, we'll talk about that hire and what it could mean for the offense, and really where the Eagles were in terms terms of who they had to choose from to begin with with these coordinator positions. And I'll also give you my thoughts on the NFC and AFC championship games. A lot of controversy, especially coming out of that NFC championship game. All that coming up here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. But let's start things off with some Eagles news. And of course, the coordinator positions have been filled. Uh, We know Vic Fangio is the defensive coordinator, and we'll get to him in just a second. But I want to start off talking about, it sure looks like former Chargers and Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore is going to be coming on board here in Philadelphia. And he will be bringing his own scheme. He will be calling the plays. He's a young guy. Uh, he, he had some success in Dallas. Did not have quite as much success with the Chargers last year in what turned out to be a lost season for Justin Herbert and, uh, and the Chargers. But uh, I think right as we're looking at this, and I'm going to talk about Moore and Fangio as a whole here to start things off. When you consider where the Eagles were and the decision to keep Nick Sirianni as the CEO head coach, when the Eagles made that decision, when Jeffrey Lurie made that decision and said, yes, we're going to keep Nick Sirianni on here, but we need to have massive changes in scheme. We need to change the way we're doing things. We need, you heard him say it over and over again in the press conference, Nick Sirianni, things have gotten stale. We need some freshness. What that tells you is that Nick Nick Sirianni's offense is scrapped and that whatever offensive coordinator that they bring in here is going to bring his own stamp it's going to bring his, his it's it's going to you know he's the artist of this offense it's going to be his signature in the bottom right hand corner of the oil paint you know and so when when you consider all of those different kinds of things you're not going to go hire what they didn't want to do. they wanted to have experience at offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator 
they didn't want to bring in some young quarterbacks coach who had, you know, with the, from the 49ers or from the Lions or from the Texans or something like that. They didn't want to bring in one of those guys, somebody who's never been an offensive coordinator before, someone who's never called plays before. They wanted somebody in here who'd done that job. Because with Brian Johnson, the inexperience came through. You could tell all the all the reporting has been, and Joe Santaliquido mentioned this in his in his story that from training camp on, Nick Sirianni was having to coach the coaches because they were new, because he they didn't know how to run a practice, they didn't know how to call plays, and the Eagles wanted something different here. So you weren't going to get some young gun who'd never been an offensive coordinator before. You were never going to get somebody who had no experience in the job. Because you're going to have a CEO head coach over this very young person, this quarterback's coach, who maybe has two years of experience doing this. You're going to have a strong CEO head coach over him, and you're going to have a very strong franchise quarterback who's vocal about what he wants. And you've got to, you've got to deal with A.J. Brown, who I'm not saying he's a problem. I'm just saying he's a vocal guy. He's going to tell you what he wants. That offensive coordinator is not going to have any standing to say, Jalen, shut up. AJ, shut up. We're doing it this way. We're doing it my way. My way or the highway. He's not going to be able to say that to Nick Sirianni. Even, even if Nick Sirianni is in a lame duck situation, which he clearly is. So you wanted to bring somebody in with experience. That limits your candidate pool. That's why we heard about Cliff Kingsbury, who had been a head coach in the NFL before and has run offenses before, for better or worse. And I'm glad they didn't go that route. But that's why those are the kinds of guys you're looking at. So when you consider the pool is limited to experienced play callers who have been offensive coordinators before but were not up for head coaching jobs, then it makes all the sense in the world and it's probably the best hire you could have anticipated to have Kellen Moore as your offensive coordinator. I mean, Eric Bieniemy would have been another possibility from the commanders because it's, it's unclear. He's probably not going to stay there. When they hire Ben Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator, as their, as their new head coach. I'd be very surprised because Johnson's going to call the plays. Eric Bieniemy is going to go somewhere else where he can call the plays. I don't know where, where, he, where he's going to do next year. So that's the kind of guy you're looking at. Kellen Moore is probably as good a candidate as you could have hoped for. Does that mean it's a slam dunk? No. Because you're keeping Nick Sirianni as your CEO head coach, there was no slam dunk. And it's the same thing on the defensive side of the ball with Vic Fangio. I am not enamored with the Vic Fangio defense. And you heard Jimmy Kemsky and BLG talking about it on the last BGN radio. I'm not convinced the Vic Fangio defense is going to work in the NFL anymore. And I don't know that the Eagles have the personnel to play it properly. You need linebackers and safeties. Those are the two positions the Eagles are woefully short on. So even if you bring the mastermind of this defense into the fold, I'm, I'm not sure it works anyway, because it looks like the league has kind of caught up to it. But if you're all the hot defensive coordinators out there that you could have gotten, if you wanted somebody with experience, which the Eagles clearly did, they didn't want another Sean Desai, they didn't want to bring in some defensive backs coach, some linebacker coach, some defensive line coach, and elevate him to a first-time defensive coordinator position. They didn't want to do that. They could have gone Wink Martindale and gone with a blitz-heavy guy, somebody like that. They chose to go with a system they know, a system they're familiar with, and the guy who's the architect with that of that system, and somebody who was in the building with them last year who they know well. So if you're not going to elevate some young gun for his first defensive coordinator position, some hot name, 
then this is this is the best available. And it's good. It's fine. Is it a home run? I don't think either of these coordinator positions are home runs, right? There's no guarantee either of these guys can fix the problems. But I think they were the best solutions if you were going to keep Nick Sirianni as the head coach. And if things don't go well this year, you probably don't get rid of Kellen Moore after one bad season, but you probably get rid of Nick Sirianni and Kellen Moore had been talked about as a head coach possibility during his time in Dallas. Does does he get the job? I mean, that's going to be one of the things that's going to be an interesting plot line as the season goes along. Looking at what Kellen Moore brings to the table, he seems to check a lot of the boxes that Jeffrey Lurie and Nick Sirianni want. He will bring a fresh perspective. He will use motion. He uses a lot of pre-snap motion. The Eagles were dead last in the NFL in using pre-snap motion, as you well know by now. They played Hurts in the shotgun the entire season. He will be under center more, under Kellen Moore. He's very good with the Blitz. The Cowboys were first in the NFL in success rate versus the Blitz in 2022. He knows how to get his players and his quarterback in the proper position when he's facing a Blitz. Last year, the Chargers were eighth in the NFL in motion. Now, just putting guys in motion is not enough, right? But Kellen Moore is widely regarded as a guy who knows how to scheme his players open. That's what we were talking about all last season. And he did not have a good year with with the Chargers. It's hard to say exactly what went wrong there. A lot of things went wrong with the Chargers. A lot of that could be blamed on Brandon Staley. I mean, that team quit midway through the season. And then Justin Herbert got hurt at the end of the season. But the Chargers offense was serviceable until Herbert went down. But he checks a lot of the boxes of what Eagles fans and apparently what Jeffrey Lurie wants. He's going to bring in a fresh perspective. Now, there's the argument and the worry from the run the ball crowd that Kellen Moore is not going to run the ball enough. And Mike McCarthy, when he decided to move on from Kellen Moore and take over the play calling duties, he said he wanted to do that because he didn't think Kellen Moore ran the ball enough. He didn't like the pass-heavy offense. He wanted to control the ball more. He wanted longer time of possession. And to McCarthy's credit, with the exception of the divisional round game against the Packers, and really that loss was on Dan Quinn and the defense more than the offense, the Cowboys' offense was better under McCarthy than it had been under Kellen Moore. But it was a very, very good offense under Kellen Moore. I mean, they, they beat the Eagles routinely when Dak Prescott was under center. So Kellen Moore knows how to run an offense. But it could be, it could be a tough one for the run-the-ball crowd because he, he's not a run-heavy guy. But here's the thing. And the thing that I go back to on this run-the-ball crowd, if you're passing the ball well, the run-the-ball crowd is quiet because most of the good teams in the NFL do it by passing the football. Now, there's got to be some balance, right? It's got to be like 65-35. You can't abandon the run especially against defenses that know how to run it. But if you're, gonna, if you're going up a defense that's putting seven guys in the box, eight guys in the box, really eight guys in the box more than seven, eight guys in the box loading up to stop the run, you've got to throw it over them. You've got to beat them in the air in order to open up that run game. And that's what we saw with defenses against the Eagles this year. And that's why Jalen Hurts, I think, audibled out of a lot of run plays to pass because teams were loading up the box. The Eagles' offensive line did not do a good enough job this year running the football. That's just, that's just the facts. They were not as good this year. Maybe they'll be better with a longer offseason. I don't know. 
But if you're passing it well to run the ball, crowd will usually be pretty quiet. But something else, Moore actually ran the ball a decent amount with Dallas. And I think we're going to see him run the ball here in Philadelphia. Now, whether it's with DeAndre Swift or whether they go out and get get somebody else remains to be seen. I don't think they're going to pay DeAndre Swift big money, but they need to have a good running back back there, and I would love to see them re-sign Swift, provided it's not an outrageous contract. It's not like a Miles Sanders-type contract. Moving on to the defensive side of the ball, it really nobody saw at the beginning of last week that Vic Fangio could ever be a, possibil- a possibility. And when we all the different names that were being talked about, Mike Caldwell's of the world, you know, I mean, some of these, uh, some of these uh, uh, Ron Rivera's out there. Like, again, you wanted an experienced guy. None of those guys was awe-inspiring. Vic Fangio, at least, that's a legit hire, and it made you feel better about the press conference you were listening to, knowing that Fangio was going to be on board. Now, Miami last year finished number 10 in yards allowed. They were number 22 in points allowed. Compared that to the Eagles, who were number 26 in yards allowed and 30th in points allowed. And the Dolphins' defense, as you've heard now multiple times, was really suffering from a lot of injuries late in the season. For the first half of the season, they played very well. But they did not play well against good teams. And I think that's something to be a little bit concerned about. And Fangio's numbers throughout his career have been up and down. He had some very good years in Chicago. I think he had the number one defense in Chicago for one of those years, the year of the double doink game. But he had a lot of seasons where it was kind of a middle-of-the-pack unit. And I think what we're going to see with the defense is that the personnel matters as much, if not more, than the defensive coordinator. Now, you want your D coordinator to get more out of what you have. And I think Vic Fangio can do that better than Jonathan Gannon did and Sean Desai did, certainly better than Matt Patricia did. He's a competent defensive coordinator. And if they if they improve the talent, especially at linebacker and safety, and that defensive line, if they can figure out why everybody struggled at the end of the season, then that defense can get back up into a middle of the pack, maybe even a top 15 unit. But you need players in order for the defensive coordinator to work his magic. And I don't know that Vic I don't know what Vic Fangio is going to have to work with next year. I don't think he's an elite defensive coordinator. And again, I'm not sure the Vic Fangio style works in the NFL anymore. So again, neither of these two hires are blowing my hair back, but they're good hires. They're not bad hires. Cliff Kingsbury would have been a bad hire. Ron Rivera probably would have been a bad hire. Probably would have been a one-year hire for both guys, and then you're back in this position. Now, here's the other thing. With Nick Sirianni as the head coach, Unless he's let go after this year, if Kellen Moore does a good job, if he gets this team back to the Super Bowl, he is out the door next year for a head coaching job and you're looking for another offensive coordinator. But that's just kind of the nature of the beast in the NFL entirely, right? The Lions are going to be looking for a new offensive coordinator next year. And we'll see how that affects them. So I just, it's, I I think expectations have to be reasonable for what we're going to get here in 2024 with these two guys. They're good hires, and I think given the structure of the Eagles, with Nick Sirianni as the CEO, they were the best hires they could have made. And so you go into you go into tr- training camp with two experienced guys who Nick Sirianni is not going to have to, te- have to teach them how to coach. They know how to coach. Kellen Moore knows how to game plan. He knows how to call a game. He knows how to scheme guys open. You don't have to worry about that. 
Vic Fangio knows how to use the, the players in his system. He knows what he needs to do. You don't have to worry about him. You don't have to worry about them running their units. You don't have to worry about their position coaches because you know those guys are going to be in control. And then Nick Sirianni is, is, is left to his own devices to do whatever it is they want him to do outside of the offense and defensive side of things. But it's pretty clear Nick is on a one-year trial run here, right? And nobody talks about the fact this is his second demotion since being hired as head coach before the 2021 season. When he got here, he was the play caller. He was the offensive coordinator as, you know, for, for all intents and purposes. Shane Steichen was the OC. But it was Zirianni running the plays, and he was terrible at it. So he demoted himself. Now, that was a great move. It showed humility. It showed it was best for the team. But he took something out of his football toolkit in order to do it. He demoted himself. And so now you've got Nick Sirianni as an offensive coach. It's his scheme, but he's not calling the plays. That turns into a disaster in 2023. So now you've got to bring in somebody who's going to bring their own scheme and their own play caller in there. And now he's demoted again. He's just ha- he's barely hanging on now, it seems. So this is a one-year trial run. If, th- if this works, and, and the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator work, and the Eagles get back to the Super Bowl, then Nick Sirianni's not going anywhere. And maybe this can work. Maybe this will work. I, I don't... I, I gotta say, I mean, I, we'll see what they do on the personnel side of things this offseason. But at the moment, I'm not in love with how this is all structured. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, let me give you my championship game thoughts here. And I, I, to me, the, the, the biggest takeaway from the weekend as a whole is that the Chiefs and 49ers didn't win their games as much as the Ravens and the Lions lost them. Those two teams handed their opponents a spot in the Super Bowl. And let's talk about the NFC Championship game first. Right? 49ers 34, Lions 31. Outside of the Falcons' collapse to the Patriots in Super Bowl 51, this is the most crushing defeat I can ever remember in NFL history. You have the Lions, who have not been to a Super Bowl ever. It's their first NFC Championship game since 1991. A storied franchise that has seen decades of futility. They are finally here. They have a 17-point lead at halftime. They are, they are 30 minutes away from a Super Bowl, the Detroit Lions. And they absolutely collapsed. 
I mean, they had all the momentum in the world and somehow choked it all away. A late Detroit touchdown failed to allow San Francisco to win this thing by 10 points in cover. The 49ers mounting that big comeback. And I know Dan Campbell is getting a lot of the blame. He should be getting a lot of the blame, but not all of it. And it's not an all-or-nothing thing, gang. Online, people want to make it an all-or-nothing thing. Dan Campbell did not make the right decisions in this game. And yes, those fourth down calls, some of them are suspect. You, but you can make an argument one way or the other. I hate the, I hate the notion of, like, of you know, people screaming about Dan Campbell making, the, making bad calls on fourth down. And also the other side of it is like, well, he was right because, you know, you go for it on fourth down. There is so much nuance here, but that doesn't work on Twitter. You can't, you can't do nuance on Twitter. I will say this. When the Lions went into the locker room at halftime, I think some of those guys in that locker room thought that they were 30 minutes from the Super Bowl, that it was, it was that they were going, right? That they expected San Francisco to come out in the second half and lay down. Like they were just going to roll over the 49ers in the second half. That is lack of experience, right? That they, they went into that locker room feeling great about themselves as well they should, but they took their foot off the gas, and they, they played a perfect first half of football. And then they played the most, the sloppiest, most mistake-filled second half of playoff football you're ever going to see. And that's the only way the 49ers were getting back in this game, is if the Lions handed it to them on a silver platter. I agreed with Dan Campbell kicking the field goal just before halftime to give them a three-score lead. That was the right thing to do. Okay, but when the 49ers came out and kicked a field goal on their opening possession, the Lions held, and that was kind of a little momentum boost for the Lions. Like, the 49ers go down, they're playing with more energy, but you got a big stop on third down. You force the 49ers to kick the field goal. You've got a two-touchdown lead still. The Lions then take the ball, and they're driving down the field. The 49ers are looking for any kind of a foothold at this point, right? They, they need a foothold to try, and, to try and get back in this game. And Dan Campbell gets to a fourth and two, where he could have had a 48-yard field goal attempt, and their, their kicker's not great. So it's probably like a 75-80% chance he makes it in that spot. You could argue there's more of a chance that they convert fourth and two than, than converting the 48-yard field goal. But man, oh man, I'll tell you what, an NFL kicker should make a 48-yard field goal. And if you put yourself back up three scores, basically, if you're the 49ers, you're like, we can't we can't punch counterpunch with these guys. We need to do more. We need to do more. That was an opportunity for Dan Campbell to just kind of keep them at bay because time was on the Lions' side. But he gave them an opening. And that's the risk-reward here, right? Sure, there's a reward. If you get the conversion, you're still like 35 yards away from the end zone, right? I mean, you're, 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 it's not like you're at the twelve and you're converting a 4th and 1 or 4th and 2. I could understand that. But you're 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 if you don't if you don't convert that. And it, I guess it's the same way if you don't make the field goal. The 49ers have great field position, but you're not punting there obviously. I I could I could understand Dan Campbell's decision there to go for it on 4th down because you want to be aggressive. Right? And if I were if it was Nick Sirianni, I'd probably want him to go for it. So I, I'm not going to kill Dan Campbell for going for that field for not going for that field goal. That felt, as far as momentum goes, like you get that first down, you keep the ball, you just keep demoralizing the 49ers, and they had a drop. 
in that spot. And the 49ers get the ball, and then they go down and score a touchdown. And now, now the now the 49ers are like, okay, now we've got our foothold, right? It's a one-score game. And then, of course, the the play of the game is Jameer Gibbs fumbling on the next on the very next play. That's the play of the game. That's the big turning point of the game. It's not the it's not the the decision to go for it. It's that Gibbs feel uh, fumble, because now you hand the ball to the 49ers inside the 30. They go and they score another touchdown. It's a, it's a tie game, and and now all hell's breaking loose. Now, I, I do believe that at the end of the game, the 49ers have a three-point lead, and the Lions, they can't do anything right through, a, through the third quarter and into the fourth quarter. They can't do anything right. They have got to stop the bleeding. They are hemorrhaging points here, right? The 49ers are starting to run away with it. So you need to do something to stop the bleeding here. And then they get a couple of big plays. The Lions get a couple of big plays. They start to move the ball down the field. They get themselves into field goal range. Man, it's the NFC Championship game. You're, you're hemorrhaging points and yards. You've got to do something to get a little momentum back on your side. You have got to kick that field goal to tie the game up. You can't, you can't win the game without... I mean, you, you can win the game without tying it first. But in that moment, you've got to have a feel for it, and I think Dan Campbell's feel for it was wrong. He's not an analytics guy. He goes for it on fourth down because he feels like it's the right thing to do most of the time. Most of the time, he's right. In that spot, I felt like he had to kick the field goal. Your defense had been doing a pretty good job on San Francisco all game long. Now, is there a chance they, they, they drag it out? There is. But, man, I think you've got to tie that game up. I think you got to tie that game up. Now, the Gibbs fumble was a bigger reason why they lost, right? That ridiculous Brandon IU catch off after it hits the Lion defender's face mask, and he's down there inside the five. That's just awful luck. Can't do anything about that. Uh, the Reynolds drop on fourth down. The incomplete pass to St. Brown on fourth and three. Those were all bigger plays, right? Those should have been converted. And some of that's not on Dan Campbell, but... You know, the reason it's risky to go for it on fourth down is because a receiver can drop the ball. A defender can tip it. Right? You, things happen on fourth down. It's not a tush-push situation where you have an automatic one-and-a-half-yard play. And so people want to just throw that out the window. It's like there's risk. There's a reason why it's risky to go for it on fourth down. Boy, I tell you, I'd have kicked a field goal in one of those spots probably at the end to tie the game. And then at least you at least you you know if the 49ers score a touchdown here, you it's still a one-score game. I'd have gone for it. I mean, I I'd, I'd have kicked the field goal there at the end. Uh, so Dan Campbell's going to get killed a little bit here. I think he's right to get killed a little bit. I think it should be I don't think it should be all on his shoulders. The players choked in the second half. When the 49ers momentum started building, the Lions got tight. They started thinking about things too much, they started envisioning themselves in Las Vegas in that locker room. And that's why they lost the second half. I don't have any proof of that, but that, that is why I think they lost. And in the AFC Championship game, uh, the Chiefs beat the Ravens 17-10. to Both defenses were awesome in this game. I think we need to start giving more credit to Steve Spagnuolo as one of the greatest defensive coordinators in NFL history. He has that Chiefs unit playing ridiculous football. They held the presumptive NFL MVP to his worst game of the season. Lamar Jackson just looked lost out there. They looked like the Eagles offense of the last month, frankly. Lamar Jackson just once again coming up small in the playoffs, as he, as he generally does. 
but I think we'll always remember this AFC Championship game as the Zay Flowers game. He had some huge plays in this game, but two killer mistakes. The, the taunting call after that long play with the, with the Ravens down 10. He gets him down inside the 5 on a monstrous play, and then he taunts the defender and, and pushes him back 15 yards. I mean, just stupid. And then as he's trying to reach out the ball and get into the end zone, he fumbles it at the one-yard line. It's just something you can't do, and that cost him the game. That was the game. He'll never make those mistakes again, but when you are on the doorstep of the Super Bowl, and with all of the unsportsmanlike penalty calls the Ravens deservedly got, they handed the Chiefs free points in a game where the defenses were doing all they could to keep these superstar quarterbacks out of the end zone. This game was about Lamar and his inability to maintain any kind of rhythm on offense. And I just, the run the ball crowd had an argument here in the Ravens game. I, the Chiefs' run defense is the most suspect part of their defense. And why the, why the Ravens chose to ignore the run on early downs was mind-boggling. But they did. Munkin's game plan was just to pass, 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 pass. And it didn't work. It didn't work, and they, they never adjusted. And they were down 10 most of the second half, and you can still run the ball when you're down 10 if you're establishing the line of scrimmage. But the Chiefs were all over them. And just the tackling in this game. And really in the, in the, in the first half of the Lions-49ers game, as an Eagles fan, you're watching these guys tackle. It was a clinic. And you're watching the Chiefs secondary, how they're passing guys off between each other. It was such a well-oiled machine. There was no confusion. Everybody knew what their responsibilities were, who's going to get which guy. It was, it, was, it was a gorgeous thing to watch. That's what a good defense does and what the Eagles weren't doing all season long. And that's what they need to fix. And, and the tackling was just second to none. I mean, nobody was getting yards after the catch in this game. Nobody. Everything was just so locked down. And it got, kind of got a little bit boring there in the second half because nobody scored. But the defense has just played phenomenal football, and Patrick Mahomes does it again. He finds a way to do it in the playoffs. He and Andy Reid, I don't know, are they going to best Bill Belichick and Tom Brady at some point? They're well on their way. Four Super Bowls in five years? I mean, the Patriots, that's as any good as anything the Patriots ever did. It, it seems hard to believe that another team could be as, as dominant a dynasty as the Patriots and Belichick. And listen, the Chiefs have a long way to go, but no, they, they, nobody's ever done what the Chiefs are doing right now, including the Patriots. So just hats off to, to Kansas City and Andy Reid. And no, Andy Reid would not have had as much success in Philadelphia as he's had in Kansas City because Patrick Mahomes is, the, is one of the biggest reasons why. Right, If Andy Reid is in Philadelphia, maybe he gets to another Super Bowl. Maybe two, maybe not. He, didn't have Patrick Mah- he wouldn't have had Patrick Mahomes here in Philadelphia, most likely. Maybe he would have. Maybe they would have drafted Patrick Mahomes. I don't know. But you can't just say, well, look what Andy's doing in Kansas City. He would have done that in Philadelphia. That's, that's, that's not really how it works. Sports is a little bit more, again, nuanced than that. Nuance is not a whole lot of fun, I realize. But um, you're, you stay sane a little bit more 
if you live in the world of nuance, and I think that's what we need to do here. All right, I'm going to be back at the end of the week uh, with another episode of the podcast, but just felt like it was important to kind of talk about some of these different kinds of things um, from this from the, a very interesting championship game weekend and talk a little bit about the coordinator, uh, coordinator search and the hires. And we look forward to hearing from the Eagles on Kellen Moore and Vic Fangio, them being introduced. It'd be cool if they, got, they both got introduced at the same press conference. We'll see if that happens this week. Uh, hopefully it will. You've got a two-week gap here between and the championship games and the Super Bowl. Perfect time to announce this kind of stuff. So we'll see what happens next. That's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. And again, make sure you check out BleedingGreenNation.com each and every day as we will keep you up to date on any Eagles-related news, rumors, notes as, the, as we wait for the last game of the NFL season coming up here in a couple of weeks. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Eye on the Enemy. Be G and